0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by you guys, the people at Patreon. Thank you very much, everybody who's supporting the program. I'll have links to Patreon below if you'd like to take part in helping us uh, to support the show. Uh, We are also brought to you by Scott's book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. You can go to Amazon to get that or uh, you can get the hardcover there. We'll have links to uh, the ebook, which you can get from Scott's site. And uh, of course, we're brought to you guys by TrueNutrition.com. Uh, use our code Think. They've just redone their website. They've got a brand new launch. Look for a bunch of cool stuff. They're gonna they're gonna do some some contests with us in the coming year. So I'm really excited for that. And of course, guys, if you're in Canada, check out uh, SupplementSource.ca for all sorts of deals that change week to week. And finally, Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. Great performance supplements. Great health supplements. Scott, we got a lot of flack on the last episode
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's so full of shit it doesn't happen to me uh,
0: so we did so, the show it was about it was about uh NSAIDs and in the negative effect they can have on muscle gain in some situations and uh, we had people that were like man I gained all sorts of muscle and I pop an Advil every day and I still got huge so this is wrong it's funny how people get so black right. and white with everything, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, everyone's got their experience; it either worked for them or didn't work for them, and somewhere in between. But as we've talked about so many times, biological interindividuality rules the roost. Yes. That's why not everyone is as big as, as Big Rami, <laughs> despite yeah. how much they try. Right. Yeah. So, and this this concept of I figured I'd kind of bring out the the heavy hitters. I pulled a couple uh, images from um, presentations that I give. Okay. On training and and the like, and I've got the "Why You Don't Look Like a Pro" talk that I love to give, it talks about genetic variability. So we've got. I want to try to do a better job, I think, of explaining this idea of hormesis, um, where we've got a dose response that this doesn't like go up to infinity and then plateau off. Basically, for instance, you take you train more, you do three sets, you do six sets, you do nine sets. And then maybe nine sets is your best adaptation. That's your best stimulus. And then beyond that, you have junk volume. Well, that junk volume, you can't just go from nine sets to 12 to 15, you know, et cetera, et cetera, without having undue consequences. I heard an um, interview or kind of a chat, uh, Max Matson and Roman Foots were talking. And Roman, this last year, even, he went from like nine to I think 15 sets. It's just the standard for, I can't remember which muscle groups, just in general.
0: Go ahead. Would we talk about this? No, no. He and I did. You and Roman did. Yeah. And I was like, you realize you increased your volume. I can't remember what it was, by like 20%, Right. And he was it, was
1: like, more, it was like more like forty percent. I can't yeah. remember what it was, but yeah,
0: but he was like, Holy shit, I never looked at it that way. He just thought he was increasing it by a few more sets. But that was cool because yeah. we were talking about his his strength, and he was like, I'm plateauing and I can't get stronger, and this is what I've been doing, just shooting the shit. You know, he wasn't like coming to me like I'm some sort of guru expert that's gonna fix it, but just through the course of conversation, yeah, we realized it was like, Yeah, it was you literally added like forty percent or thirty percent more volume. To something that was already working, uh-huh. you know, and, and he is a genetic freak, right. but we all have our limitations, right? Especially when you train like Roman does. Yeah.
1: yeah. He just he's, he pushes everything he does beyond failure training in some regards. So yeah. he must have had this, this conversation that he had with Mox was probably after you guys had talked because he was pretty clear on this. He brought it yeah. up. Yeah. And the thing he noticed in, in terms of his legs is that he started to lose his sweep. Yeah. Um, his legs were regressing basically. Okay, and then he pulled back to what was working, and then his sweep came back on his legs. So he's yeah. like, "Okay, so." And Roman's been at it, you know. It, it, he didn't start training a couple of years ago. He's been doing this for a while, but he is still learning. You know,
0: that's so cool um, too to be and, that advanced and still yeah, to be learning. You know,
1: yeah. So that's basically what we're going to talk about, um, in essence. So if you could pull up that first yeah. picture that I sent you, the first. This is progress. The big picture is this I one. The first one I, 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 here. Yeah. Okay. So this is real kind of basic stuff, right? Um, adaptation requires recovery. You train and you recover. You just can't train and train and train. You can't train ten times a day. You can't train continuously. You need to have this recovery process in place. So this is a function of your food, your sleep, your supplements, your neutral pharmaceuticals, etc., genetics. Is a huge part here. We're going to mm. get into that maybe a little bit. Just, just drill general, because this what I want to do sort of is, is is recapitulate this idea and maybe um, to generalize it even rather than get into specific finding. Because people asked about like four or five different supplements in terms of their impact on progress, and some people find that it impacted their progress, perhaps, and others didn't. Um, it's funny people don't. Because Roman was the cool thing about Roman is, is he was owned up to what he it was sort of a mistake, something he wouldn't do again, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't consider it a mistake. I just consider it a learning process. So right. people don't all, always do that, um, but he did. So if people did maybe see that something wasn't working, it's even just a normal human um, tendency, I think, to just say, "Well, I can't have done something wrong. I added something in and it's not working." Like they, they don't look for a, an obvious error that they made. So Roman yeah. was doing that, and finally he figured it out, and maybe talking to you would help kind of gel. So someone might be taking a supplement, and they might think there's just no way that that's, that's impacting me. Like if I take an NSAID, let's say, I have less pain, I can train harder. Mm-hmm. How could that possibly negatively impact me? Impact me. So if you took a look at the, the two figures down there below, we've got this balance of training stress and recovery, and the left cheater totter um, image shows that recovery is outweighing the training stress so really you re- your recovery has to be in a certain way outbalancing your stress so that you get not just back to where you've recovered but then you have the ad- adaptive process that's taking place so you get back to where you're better you're mm. bigger and that would manifest in being stronger so on the other hand um, if you're training stress and your other stresses so you're not sleeping well you've got stress in your life Probably almost everyone listening has had a situation where maybe they're going through a divorce or they had something going on with school or their career or what have you, and the stress was just sky high. A loved one that was sick and all said, they just just shrunk. It's like someone was injecting them with cortisol on a daily basis while they're sleeping. Everything just goes backwards. So that's the basic balance we've got to have. So let's go to the next slide. All right. The next sort, next image. They're kind of slides. You like my van of white today a little yeah. bit? We're doing like lots of slides. <laughs> <Let> this smile <laughs> right? look pretty. Yep. Let's see what, what behind slide number two. Yes. So this is a cool one. This this is one um uh that I've it's I posted on Instagram a few times, and actually made it into this NASM physique coach certification. Hmm. um I sent it to somebody else and gave them. Chris Barakat, who may be watching this, gave him uh, ah. permission to post it out there. So it's a good one. So if you just focus on the black line there, okay. Um, and I and this is a very theoretical because this has not really been completely borne out. I would love to see some more studies that that look into this phenomenon. Unfortunately, there were two studies um, demonstrating this idea that were then um, uh, they were brought back. They were uh, that got the it was Barbalo at alp some of the people who pay attention to these sorts of things might might know this this horror story this the graduate student had fabricated the data hmm. um, and some very a very keen number of investigators there's like 15 authors are like okay this is this is just bullshit. but still the data suggests that we have this phenomenon this is just the basic idea it kind of comes from general adaptation syndrome um, we see this in various regards and actually one one interesting thing um, people would never suspect this one interesting place in which this phenomenon was first um, uh, kind of discovered was with radiation so small amounts of very very small amounts of radiation will actually upregulate the genetics involved with protecting your cells against dna damage from radiation this doesn't mean you want to go and expose yourself to Radiation, or maybe you want to come the Hulk by exposure yeah, to gamma that's what rays. I was thinking. Too much obviously will, will damage you, but small amounts actually evoke an adaptive response. We see this same thing with tanning. It's not—it's not, it's not a, a, the same molecular mechanism. We've got melanin that's produced when you get when you tan. Um, something actually happens to people who deal with highly poisonous snakes. Mm. Can develop—they um, can basically sort of vaccinate themselves using snake venom. Um, in, uh, inoculate themselves against being, and they can literally get a massive strike from what would otherwise be completely lethal and survive it. So back to the back to the picture here. This is this training kind of cumulative dose. Like this isn't you can't you can look at this in various ways. It's sort of the, the stimulus or the dose that was, that's put in place, and that curve, the black line, goes up and up and up So it kind of peaks at some point. And in this case, going from one set to three sets to five sets, whatever for that person in a workout, and that's relative to the total volume, let they have in a week, you get to some sort of optimal level where beyond which you don't have any more adaptation. You actually grow more slowly. So you follow that curve to the right, to the right, to the right, and eventually sort of reach the point where you might be basically base, barely getting back to baseline And so you're getting no progress. So you're able to recover, which I've been guilty of, I think. And many bodies probably are because we have this idea more is better. Mm -hmm. And if you can come back in and train again and and brutalize yourself, um, well, then you've recovered. Well, technically, yes, you have recovered. But that doesn't mean that you're training in a way that optimizes your progress. Because you should be coming back. And this is why a logbook can be very, very important for people, especially if they don't have genetics that just launch them forward really really rapidly and more easily to monitor your progress hmm. and there's a whole other you know a whole slew of things you can use to monitor your, your perceived recovery your heart rate variability you know your sleep monitoring all those sorts of things can, can be thrown can in this mix but there's a this optimal volume um, for everybody and Mike Israel has his notions that are there so this has been recapitulated in various ways if you have poor recovery um it might be someone with that dotted line there. And this is again hypothetical. That shape could be very different for very number of people for a good number of people. It could be that three sets is perfect for you and five sets is way too much. Hmm. Um I watched a uh, reaction video of people it was actually it was actually Max Motzen again, um, with uh, a guy named Justin who he, he works with who's almost to pro. he's almost a pro, it's very good bodybuilder. They were re- reacting to Dory Neates.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um blood and guts training, one set for each exercise, one all out set. And they're just kept on saying, like, I can't hardly believe he just does one set. But he does. And for him, if he tried to do three and tripled mm-hmm. his volume, mm-hmm. that would have that would have tossed him into overtraining probably pretty pretty rapidly. Where he wouldn't he might have been able to recover from it. This is the interesting thing. He might have been able to come back in and duplicate his duplicate his previous workouts, assuming everything was there recovery wise. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't have been optimal for his his um, for his progress. So, for someone who can just only handle less volume, their their curve is is probably shorter. So, more volume is more easily pushes them towards overtraining. So they get into that negative zone on the far right of the curve here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and Vayner, Vay- less volume is better for them. Um, there's the green curve. That's where we have people who are probably who are better genetics, and I've kind of added two things to that. One, they have a higher curve, so they have a more positive adaptive response or positive adaptation, meaning they grow faster and or they can grow more. They can just simply get bigger. So these are people who are typically end up being pros, for instance. They're outliers or they're extreme responders, Mm. and those individuals tend to be those who can also handle more volume so they've got better recovery abilities so they can you can throw more volume at them and they can recover from it and because they have better recovery abilities that whole system of recovery is better engaged for them to in this case adapt in terms of muscle growth so i think like we may have talked about last time you've got various ways you can recover to strength training i know we talked about this before in the podcast and muscle growth is just one of those mm-hmm. your nervous system can recover the enzymatic, um, the energetic systems can can adapt. You've got all sorts of ways your system can adapt to that stimulus, and muscle growth is just one of those. Some people just are genetically set up to have more muscle growth, perhaps relative to the other changes that they might see. You think of someone like Paul Dillett or Flex Wheeler, kind of classic examples of guys who weren't crazy strong but mm-hmm. were crazy big. Mm-hmm. They've just got systems that were, for whatever genetic reason, a myostat mutation or whatever, <laughs> Which actually do exist to some in some small percentage of the population, but they had just genetics that were set up to have a major hypertrophic or maybe a hyperplastic adaptive response to the training. Okay. So, all right, now we're going to move towards kind of the topic of anti-inflammatories and antioxidants and all this stuff. Okay. Let's um let's check out the next the next picture I sent you. All right. This one. So this is this is really cool. This is from uh, this is from Why You Don't Click a Pro, and we talked about this on the last podcast. So this is sort of the cycle of of uh, training, induce the injury, which is part of the stress, and we're going to kind of go clockwise through this. Um, if you just look at the black boxes. We've got this primary injury, so you disrupt the contractile elements of the skeletal muscle fibers. Then you have the secondary inflammatory responses where you get DOMS. There's more injury that occurs there. Then we've got the recovery, remodeling, repair process that goes on. And then hopefully if you wait long enough to recover, you've got growth. And what I did here is just sort of outline that cycle. And I pulled from a very cool review article um, that's looked into the various genetic factors that are involved with propensity for someone to have more or less muscle injury more or less DOMS hmm. so remember if you're so the like, part of the process here is this inflammatory process which is is basically part of part and parcel of this whole process that needs to happen in order to stimulate the adaptation that comes along with things so if we for instance completely blunt the oxidative stress from free radicals with a high dose of vitamin C, a thousand milligrams of vitamin C with four and I use vitamin E, or we take a mega dose or a large dose or the maximal that they usually have on the bottles of, of an NSAID, um, in particular a Cox one inhibitor. So we can get into those, get into the woods with the different Cox isoforms, which probably isn't worth doing without <laughs> some image because it's highly complicated and the things differ between animals, rodents at least, mm. and humans. Okay. But you blunt those things, then you basically cut this whole cycle short, right? Yeah. That's the possibility that you completely cut it short, which is what some of these studies have shown. Um, however, if you use an intermediate dose, then what you may have done is is basically shifted where you are on that curve, that hormesis curve. I'm going to come back to that here in just a second. It's in the, it's in the next picture. It looks just like the previous one, but I've added some notes to it where you more optimizing things. And this is what they saw in the study of acetaminophen, um, ibuprofen, and uh, another anti-inflammatory with older folks where they actually got better growth. So they were too far to the right in terms of stimulus. It was beyond optimal for growth, perhaps. This is my theory. And when they limited this inflammatory response with an NSAID, they shift. they basically, it was as if they took them from nine sets to six sets. Mm-hmm. They limited the stimulus, they limited the inflammation, and that may have been what was going on in terms of why these why they grew better with the anti inflammatories in place. So that's one feature that is kind of seen, it's in, this, um, in this, uh, this figure here. The other interesting thing, and this is what's pretty cool, these are just a few of the genes that are involved here. I just picked out some for the sake of of just explaining the notion that are involved with each of these steps in this cycle. So if you look in the kind of upper right there, the Mm -hmm. Actin-3 gene codes for Actin-3, which is a structural protein. So depending on which form of that you have, you'll get more or less mechanical damage. So you take two people, assume they're genetically identical except for the Actin-3 one will suffer, suffer more mechanical damage from a given workout, all those things being equal. So just after the amount of training that creates that initial mechanical injury will vary depending on the structure of the contractile proteins that you you as an individual have in your muscle fibers. Then there are variations of tumor necrosis factor, I'm kind of going clockwise here around, and interleukin-6, these direct inflammation variations there will either amplify or relatively reduce the inflammation that you get relative to the structural primary mechanical insult that comes from the training itself. So there's another point of modulation, right? So you imagine, imagine we take a hundred people and we say, okay, if you have this gene for actin three over here, this gene over here, it's like, now you take those groups of people and you say, okay, if you've got this TNF gene, that TNF gene, get into this, this corner, that corner, Interleukin 6, we'd we start dividing people up, and you're going to have all sorts of potential variations. The last one along the circle there is insulin like growth factor 2, which is involved with growth. Its exact functions are a little less nebulous, a little more nebulous than with IGF 1, but there's variations there that are predictive of the amount of muscle injury insomnia will have or, or how long that lasts. So, this recovery, repair, and remodeling process varies. So someone might have just as much structural damage, just as much inflammation, but the remodeling process might be slower or faster.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So each of these steps is kind of like a, a conveyor belt where you're, you're building, you're trying to build back your Steve Austin, basically becoming a bigger, stronger muscle fiber. Yeah. And you may have some slackers early on in the conveyor belt, and otherwise you're doing good. Um, so you maybe let's say someone I'm going to just toss this out just because it just occurred to me. Let's say Dorian Yates. Um, it'd, be, it'd be actually really interesting to get a get a biopsy and do a um, genetic analysis and see what what version of actin three he has. Maybe for him, he had one that made it such that he was more likely to incur a larger mechanical injury to the contractile elements yeah. from training, so he could only get away with lower volume. Hmm. And that was an optimal stimulus for him because his other gene- genetic advantages lay it afterwards in the, in the secondary inflammation that comes and the recovery modeling. Yeah. Right? So, three sets for a muscle group per workout was perfect to, s- to set in motion the inflammation, but he was really, really genetically elite, let's say, in terms of the other aspects of this whole cycle. So, for him, low volume was best. And he had a really. And let's go to this actually, the next curve or okay. the next um, figure. All right. Hold on a second. And thanks here. for hanging with me, Scott. If you have any questions, let me know. Okay. No, that's I'm just listening, listening at
0: this point. And, and there, there was well, one question, but I, I can hold off on it. Is this. Did we already do this one? No. Wait. Yeah. No, this is new.
1: No, it's, it's different because I have some things on the bottom. So, okay. that's perfect because you can. Um, so imagine imagine that excellent recovery um, curve yeah and imagine we're talking about Dorian for instance and now Dorian's curve will be just as high but much shorter it wouldn't be so far mm. out so he has he has great adaptive response but he can only get away with less volume yeah which he figured out for himself through trial and error and training for years right okay so so what I have here on the bottom, yeah, and your question, I think it's probably a good time if you, if, if you got that question.
0: Well, I, I, I was just going to simply ask, and I can bring that back up, but I was just going to ask, yeah. so all these different little conveyor belts, as you called them, and, and at, so there's right. all this potential variation from person to person. Can we, can we test for this stuff to find out, you know, what, what do I excel at in, in recovery or, or where do I lack? Is that something that can be tested?
1: You could, yeah, you could do a genetic test, of course. That's so how they've done these studies. Okay. Right? Um, I don't think those are available commercially.
0: Okay. Um, okay.
1: You could, you could find, seek out a geneticist, someone, I mean, someone really wanted to get that done.
2: Yeah. It'd just could be fascinating. It in the
1: scientific literature. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I and mean, the thing is, part of the question is, what can you do to modify um, yeah. what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's another topic that I bring up in this. Why you don't like the pro um, talk is, is they they take, um, they've taken several studies and, and there's there are companies that do this. They give you they do a genetic test, and then they try to say take the leap and say you should train in this way.
0: Yes, I've seen
1: that. And what they've what they actually have, as far as I know, the studies only show that certain ge- certain genes predispose you to better performance during certain types of athletic abilities. So actin three gene, if you have a certain um, isoform of that or a certain form of that gene, you're a better sprinter. Okay. And they've seen that multiple times. There's various cases of this. That's a, that's a one that's been studied. It's not always consistent actually, because there's probably other things that may overlap and, and um, blur that potential impact. So, but that they've not, in, for instance, individuals and say, okay, let's, let's find 20 people with this gene, this, this form of the gene, and 20 people with this form of the gene, and then let's do a crossover study or let's split them into, into uh, two groups of 10 and train them with high volume versus low volume or high reps versus low reps and see, based on your gene, whether you should be training with high weight, low weight, high reps, low reps, higher volume, lower volume they've just taken basically that their performance is better on these types of events and then they've made the leap to say this is how you should train as far as resistance training goes based on those performance um the tests and that connection is really not there in large part okay Um, okay because because you have for instance a lot of a lot of for instance, like one thought is that if you have more of an endurance, like and I've seen this in these tests, you have more of an endurance-oriented genetic profile, then you should maybe train um, with higher volume and higher reps. That's kind of a that sort of makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. that's where your genetic abilities tend to allow you to shine. But we know that many people, there's many cases, like Dave Henry's one example of this, or many cases where bodybuilders were. Um, Derek Oslin's another case of this, were really good sprinters, mm-hmm. meaning they probably had a lot of type 2 fibers and were not endurance-oriented at all, and they can get away, a lot of good bodybuilders are that way, and they can get away with a lot of volume. Mm. And Derek can handle a ton more volume than I can,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: most most of the high-level bodybuilders, they look like the green curve on the Hermetic, uh, on the hermetic um, image, mm. they can do lots of volume, because they can recover from lots of volume. Yeah. So. Like, that's just one example of how that connection doesn't really work. So we're yeah. missing the cool studies where they say, let's figure out the best way to train hmm. based on your genetics. Hmm. We just know that these genetics mean that you're probably better at these physical activities, these sporting activities. Okay. So that's the missing piece. Okay. Um, so do we get to your question? Yeah, yeah pretty much.
0: There's there's no, yeah, yeah. We don't, yes, yeah. you said we don't really have the testing uh, available commercially yeah. at this time. It'd just be fun. It'd be cool. Right. I have seen. Ah, I have no. seen the testing though, where they do tell you, like, okay, you'd be better off for this type of training. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I question a lot of the genetic testing that's available out there, as to you know what what leaps they're making to get to their you know their assertions.
1: There's actually um, a publication. If someone wants it, they can message me. Instagram is fine, I guess where they compared the results of some of these commercial tests to a lab test for genetics. And the commercial tests were way off. Yeah. Like they were, They were, the results were false. <laughs> they weren't even close. Yeah. That's so, what
0: Victoria has seen that. And she has yeah. some other software to run the raw data through. So she's seen mm-hmm. people that have wanted to do genetic testing. And then after they get it done, they just get the raw data. They don't use their, what they've asserted afterwards, but then right. they just take the raw data and run it through these other systems to get their Prometheus answers.
1: Prometheus is probably what she uses. I'm guessing. Yeah,
0: I don't know. That's an, I haven't yeah, done it. I want to do it though. Yeah, I want to cool. do it. She's you also should. said though that we, you know, she, she doesn't. She suggests that nobody puts their name, their real name, or information on it because once you do, those companies literally own your genetic information. So.
1: Yeah. And they can send it to insurance companies. And then eventually the insurance companies can say, Hey, you've got a high genetic risk of this, that, and the other. So you're premium twice because you're going to get cancer, you know, yeah. or you're going to have heart attack. Yeah. Then, yeah, they can. I mean, I don't think legally they're supposed to do that, but
0: who knows where to go I'm down the road. The ethical, yeah, the ethical yeah.
1: compass of, of insurance companies. Yeah. Right. The moral compass of insurance companies. So, um, so let's throw that other figure back up. Yep. The last one. This one? Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, we have potentially all sorts of different shapes. That's kind of what I'm getting here. So, getting at here. So, if you look at the bottom, I kind of made some notes for myself. Okay. So, what we talked about before, anti-inflammatories, antioxidants. They re- reduce the stimulus in that they reduce the inflammation or... Free radicals basically are, have a damaging effect, so to speak, but they elicit an adaptation, which would then prevent future damage from that kind of a stimulus. So reduce the stimulus, it moves the leftward. Does it extinguish the stimulus? It could. You know how strong the stimulus was? And, and where you fit in terms of the various genetic aspects that are involved with this, this cycle of primary, um, Primary insult, secondary inflammation, remodeling, and then rinse and repeat. It's going around. So, for some people, it might extinguish the stimulus. From others, it may not. Yeah. But the other way of looking at this is that let's say it may allow you to, or require you to, depending on what your what your druthers are, to do more training for a given stimulus. So, let's say six sets would be optimal for you per week and you use anti-inflammatories on a regular basis. So basically what this would do is blunt that six sets and make it the equivalent of three, just being kind of very generic here. Yeah. probably can't quantify it quite that way because you don't know what these cur- These curves are shaped. So instead of doing six sets, you do nine, and you basically get the same stimulus you could have had out of six. And if you're doing a good job of auto-regulating, your auto-regulation takes into, a- takes into account that effect of the anti-inflammatories that you're using. So, nine sets is your golden your golden spot, your sweet spot, you're optimizing, you're making progress, you're using a logbook, you're seeing it in the mirror, you see it on the scale, everything's going the right direction. But what you've done is adjusted your training to take into account the the leftward shifting effect, basically, the blunting effect of your training and you're doing more training, which for a bodybuilder, if they're really gung ho about it, like probably everyone listening right now is like, that's mm-hmm. just fine with me. The more I can train the better. Cause then I feel like I did everything yeah. right. Um, um, so you're basically, there's a possibility also that you may be optimizing excessive stimulus. And that's what I was thinking may happen in these studies with the older folks. Hmm. Then the, then the other thing, um, and this is what I brought up with Dorian Yates is when we don't know this, it depends on your genetics. It may change the shape of the curve. Right, so maybe your maybe your zone of of sort of optimal adaptation. So the may, the curve may not be a perfect like inverted U. Mm-hmm. It may kind of go up and may have a long plateaued area where you've got optimal recovery between, let's say, nine and sixteen sets. It's all the same for you. Yeah. And the in the situation with Roman, for him, like you noted to him, like you've, whatever his change of sets were, nine to sixteen is a pretty high jump. Yeah. Right, that's a pretty large, large leap for it. So, he his curve um, was not very extended; it was m- bunched together more so. So, increasing his volume by that much sent him backwards. It didn't really bring him down to where he wasn't recovering. He was basically, in terms of muscle recovery, that would be, and, and from a, from a muscle size perspective, that would have been an overtraining because he literally was losing muscle size. Some of that could have just been fullness related to glycogen and water. So, it might have been might have been so much a matter of contractile tissue he recovered it pretty quickly but if he kept that up he probably would have lost overall size and actual tissue
0: yeah um, over time
1: given the same glycogen uh, levels in the muscle so you may have a higher peak a lower peak um you have somewhat of a regular shape um it may be that if you're if you're adding and this is kind of an interesting way to toss in this concept too if you're adding Um, high levels of antioxidants or NSAIDs that what would otherwise be quote unquote junk volume is no longer junk. Yeah. Right. Because you can do that and it's actually okay in terms of optimizing your stimulus as long as you've got the anti-inflammatories in there. So that's the thing about, about junk volume is junk volume could be just excessive that doesn't have much of an impact on your recovery. It's just, it's just, it doesn't it doesn't cut into your gains so much or it could be severely drastically impacting your gains. So it may be that um, someone would do best with nine sets and instead they do sixteen sets and they can get away with it because of the NSAIDs, the antioxidants that may be taking. So that junk volume is just junk volume, but it's not adversely affecting them. So they don't see it as junk. Yeah. Because it doesn't really have an impact on them. So they'll make progress. So that Hopefully, that is a way for folks to kind of um, conceptualize how they everyone could be very very different. You can bring, bring that um, bring that picture down if you want, Scott. Conceptualize how everyone could be so different, um, and it also could depend on which substances you're using that have these impacts, right? What about different path- okay, Go ahead.
0: Yeah, what about anabolic steroids? Because we did get a comment that oh well these studies the i'm certain these people weren't enhanced athletes using anabolic steroids these were just normal people
1: what what role
0: right. would anabolic steroids play in this this all these curves
1: it could totally minimize the negative impact yeah um because that because that's that's raising that's raising your the level of your curve and maybe even spreading it out so mm. you know if if let's say 600 milligrams of naproxen or something like that yeah you take or four milligrams you, know, you just take a you know 200 milligrams in the morning 200 milligrams at night it's it's a moderate it's a modest dose that as a natty would could maybe take a chunk out of your gains but now you've got a much higher curve and a much wider curve mm. so it has a very minimal effect it's more of um you know just kind of drops in the bucket as opposed to drops in the glass so here's another nice analogy that might work for some people. Like if you're a natty, you've got a, a glass full of water and you put a gr- couple drops of dye in there. Like, okay, we changed the color of the, of the water. It's definitely been impacted. But if you've got a bucket of water, you put a couple drops in there. It's like, ah, I really don't notice much. It looks pretty clear. There's a little hue to it, maybe a little tint, but it's not nearly as colored as the glass. So yeah, the you know, I mean, how many times have you heard people say, and I think there's truth to this, Anabolic steroids lets you get away with all sorts of quote unquote mistakes yeah. in your diet and your recovery. Yeah. Um, you don't have to learn many, as much. How, uh-uh. No. How many jack guys are there that, that I mean, that go to the clubs and they get drunk two nights a week, right? And they're <laughs> right. geared up and they look great. They look almost better than any natty, or it's definitely better than your average, your above average natty. Right. And if the above average if your average natty did that, like they would be they would be crippled. They would never make any progress. They would probably look like they didn't even train because they'd be undoing all those little progress steps they make forward because they have to add those things together.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, At least it works for a while. That's a good question.
0: At least it works for a Mm -hmm. certain level of development, and for most of us, at least with average genetics, and then you eventually, even with gear, have to still get to a point where you need to figure some things out.
1: Yeah. Not everybody I mean in the not everybody. Right. 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 Man, I've talked well, to some this- great
0: pros and I'm sure you have too, and after a few minutes you realize, like, wow, this guy literally knows nothing about, you know, training. He's never had to do anything other than just like get in there and just hit it hard and then eat some food. That's- yeah. And they'll tell mm-hmm. you too. Those are the same people that'll tell you that's all bodybuilding is about. You just lift heavy weights and mm-hmm. eat. Why are you guys sitting here talking for an hour on this stupid podcast?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Right. Right. You know, it's it's I mean, there's so many analogies, but it's like someone who was just born in a Lamborghini, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, and so they can go 150 miles an hour like their zero to 60 is is nothing, you know. So they just they're they're outperforming everyone really easily. Yeah. That doesn't mean, and I'm no car expert here, but it doesn't mean you couldn't take that Lamborghini and put a turbo in there and put nitro in there Ooh. and soup that up so it's even better. Yeah. But and that's what guys like Ronnie, for instance, did. Ronnie yeah. Coleman. Yeah. You know, and then they become like, holy shit. But most of the time, most many pros are in their pond at home. Yeah. And they don't see other pros necessarily. They don't they don't have that perspective to know that those little things do matter at that higher level. Yeah. We got you guys got like Ho- Jose Raymond I talk about, got his pro card many, many years, and then when he finally decided to compete as a pro, massive leaps forward. Sean Clarita was a natural pro for years. That guy trains like an animal. You know, he's dotting every i and crossing every t, and that's why he's, you know, two twelve Mr. Olympia. So, and Ronnie was someone else, you know, who was doing it, you know, everything right, just never missing meals, blah blah blah. And then he added the gear in there, and he, and then he got some help with from Chad and optimize things even further. Little technology
0: um, on his side.
1: Little, exactly. So. Um, those little things do make a matter, but relative to someone who's just so much better than everyone else, you just you're not going to see that. You don't have those learning opportunities. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it it can and and could make a difference depending on the person, though. Yeah. So some of the um, questions, and I can sort of address this, Jeremy. Can we see if I missed any points? Because I made some notes.
0: Hey guys, I'm going to take a brief pause to shout out our advertisers. I'm going to try to make this quick, but keep in mind, they're responsible for helping us to put these shows out. If you guys want to support our programming, of course you can do so through Patreon, and thank you to everybody who supports the show through Patreon. I will have links to that below, as well as to all of our advertisers. If you shop with our advertisers, you'll get great products, products that I stand behind, and you'll also be supporting our programming. First of all, check out truenutrition.com if you're in the U.S. I use their hydrolyzed beef collagen every day, and I use their citrulline malate, beta-alanine, and eaa on days that i train they have high quality protein powders and tons of flavors hit me up if you have any questions use our code think over there you'll get some additional savings plus you'll support our programming and you'll get some high quality third-party tested supplements if you're in canada check out supplementsource.ca They have blowout deals on top name brand supplements. Uh, They constantly have different things happening, so be sure to go to their site and check them out. I recently saw Carbolin for like 30 bucks off. I mean, you really can't beat those prices. Plus, they have free shipping over $99. If you're in the UK, then you probably already know about Strom Sports. They're one of the leader in health supplements in the United Kingdom. Strom Sports Nutrition has standalone supplements like NAC and Tutka, and they have finished blends like Support Max, a high-quality, well-priced on-cycle support stack. I have links below to everything. Thanks for watching. Thanks for your support.
1: I sent you those questions. They asked about, um, for instance, um, curcumin. Mm -hmm. Turmeric contains curcumin. um, Bromelain, Boswellia serrata. um, What was another one that was asked? Vitamin C. Vitamin C C was brought up again. Yep. Uh, There's one more, I think. Omega-3s, too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so we have got some interesting stuff. Let's let's throw So, here's here's something that's um it's kind of interesting about skeletal muscle is a really phenomenal tissue because it's so plastic and it's it's meant, you can think of it this way, conceptually it's meant to be fine-tuned by exercise. In fact, our bodies are to some degree. So we're we're really set up health comp- if you you would imagine um, it's almost like there's a maintenance effect that comes from exercise. So it's like if you have a car and you just leave it sitting in your, in your garage and you never drive it and you never, ma- you don't do anything to it, to prevent it from degrading it will. And that's what happens with sedentary living. So we have some required amount of maintenance that's re- that, that, that is just comes from normal amounts of activity. It doesn't take a whole lot to get yourself out of the, the bottom um, get you away from diseases of sedentary living. Yeah. So when you do things like have a mobilization of a skeletal muscle, and where it's not able to move at all, so it's not getting any of its normal activity, um, you have that's a pathological process that actually involves the an inflammatory response that is involved with this breakdown. So you've got a um, inflammation that is excessive relative to a building process because you're not stimulating any protein turn or much protein turnover with the sedentary muscle. So we see some kind of cool things when it comes to substances like curcumin. Um, and that leads me to this last figure that I sent you. This is just one of many studies that have demonstrated some of the cool effects of curcumin. So this was, um, this is a study in uh, tumor bearing mice. Okay. And they gave them, uh, this curcumin C three complex you can find this on Amazon. Um, it's not the BCM ninety five; it's a different form of curcumin. Curcumin's cool because it some of its actions are probably on the uh, microbiome in the gut, and mm. some of them are making by making its way into the um, into the bloodstream as well and acting more directly on the tissues in that way. Okay. So in this case, they had uh, basically it was a three day study. They had. Mice that had a colon tumor, and so they had colon cancer, basically. And this generally produces atrophy. Um, cachexia is the is the term. So they don't like to eat. They lose muscle mass. These are basically mice that are dying of, of colon cancer. Um, and what they did was gave them curcumin, and I translated the doses there from uh, from mice doses to uh, human doses. So 8 milligrams per kilogram, which would be like 800 milligrams for a 100-kilogram bodybuilder per okay. day. And then they had a pretty high dose, 20 milligrams per kilogram. That's, that's, that's pretty excessive. But what they basically found, for instance, is that curcumin, which has anti-inflammatory actions, and this is where I, I thought, am I going to go into this or not? I don't think I'm going to. Um, <laughs> there's a, a central mo- molecule called nuclear factor kappa beta that's involved with this, and curcumin uh, inhibits that. So it basically is a, has a very major role in inhibiting um, a whole series of genes called the inflammasome Um, that are lit up when you've got a pathological situation, here. in this case cancer. Um, And what you see is a dose response here, whereby the curcumin prevented atrophy. Um, It's actually a pretty substantial, if you look at that high dose group, there's a pretty substantial difference in, this is surface area, basically um, a cross-sectional area of the skeletal muscle fibers. The picture's up top, show you a cross-section, you can't see it very well, I'm sorry for that, but um, if you have the the actual paper, you can see those. That's a cross section of the muscle, and they actually measure the muscle fiber cross sectional areas. Hmm. They're much bigger in the high dose curcumin. So, for instance, when you've got a situation where you're not training, let's some, say someone was casted, right, yeah. or yeah. they've had surgery, or they've gotten sick, or they can't train, hmm. or whatever, curcumin has a preventative action on atrophy, so it can limit atrophy because that because it hasn't. Has a negative impact it in- inhibits inflammation
2: hmm.
1: in these sorts of pathological situations. So there's tons of very cool studies. I'm not going to get into all of them, um, but Boswellia serrata. Somebody asked about that. It has act- acts through some of the same mechanisms as curcumin, so I would expect the same impact there. Mm-hmm. Um, Omega three fatty acids. So those feed into prostaglandin synthesis and produce what are generally anti-inflammatory prostaglandins. Um, the interesting thing there, and the studies are, the data is mixed, but the interesting thing there is that there's at least one or maybe two studies now showing that omega-3 supplementation can improve the protein synthetic effect of amino acids.
2: Hmm.
1: So you consume amino acids, especially the essential ones, they turn on protein synthesis. And the individuals, one of those studies with older folks, Smith et al., um, the omega-3s, although they have an anti-inflammatory action, and this was without training, they increase that the extent to which protein synthesis was turned on by these amino acids. Hmm. So omega-3s um, can be uh, potentially anabolic in that sense. Hmm. You can take that, that um, figure down if you want, Scott. Okay. So... And the thing that, being an old dude, it's been around for a while. I remember when people first figured out, hey, omega threes might be important. They are essential fatty acids, right? Yeah. And there were guys finding that they were having re- repartitioning effects from adding in decent doses of omega threes. I don't know how much. Some guys were probably, you know, using a lot more than they needed to, but it may have been in your typical chicken and rice eating bodybuilder who's avoiding fatty meats. They're were not weren't getting a whole lot of salmon. All of a sudden. For instance, as a source of omega threes, now they were going from a relatively deficient to a more optimized omega three level, and they started having literally muscle gain and and even fat loss in some cases. Yeah, and you see, you see from omega threes, they actually can make their way into the mitochondrial membrane and have an uncoupling effect in the way that they're they're not DNP, but they have an uncoupling effect, which is what DNP does. So they can actually allow you to burn off more energy for a given amount of energy intake. and Generally seeing speaking, when you take in PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids, those tend to um, create the least amount of body fat gain relative to the caloric intake. Hmm. Saturated fats tend to be the worst. Um, like peanut butter, for instance, there's a peanut butter study. All the extra calories from the peanut butter that were fed to the peanut butter group ended up as body fat. Um, you see sort of The opposite, you tend to get very little body fat relative to the calories you take in when you do polyunsaturated fatty acids. Okay. So that's a little bit on omega-3s. Holy topic, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Someone asked about bromelain. Bromelain acts acts like plasmin, so it has an impact on clotting factors, and the plasmin also has an impact on the production of prostaglandins, which are what the the cyclooxygenase enzymes are responsible for, the COX enzymes I've mentioned before. So... I just went through a whole bunch of mechanisms of, of different of, of curcumin, boswellia, omega threes, um, bromelain, and you can keep on going down the list, right? Mm-hmm. So there's two important things that I wanted to let people know, and you can always dig in and see what the research says. Go to Google Scholar and check it out. Is one the impact that these particular anti-inflammatory or free radical quenching supplements might have depends on your genetics. In terms of, i thinking of skeletal muscle now. How your genetics are suited to that cycle of producing a stimulus, which involves an injury, and then inflammation, and then recovery, modeling. It may be that some aspect of the inflammation isn't something that really matters for you in terms of going through that rinse and repeat cycle that produces muscle growth. Assuming you're recovering enough between training sessions, eating enough, and everything else is in place. So each supplement can interact with an individual totally differently depending on their genetics and the other thing that's worth considering too going back to this concept of hormesis is that if you're taking let's say curcumin as a health supplement it's got anti-cancer actions um, it's got cardiovascular benefits same thing with boswellia. you can look in all these other things you take the supplement it gets into your body or it acts on your microbiome it goes everywhere basically everywhere that it's it may not get to your brain if it can't cross the blood brain barrier but it's basically it's going into your arteries it's having impact on your on your liver it's having impact on all of your cells so that health effect that you're getting may be worth some trade-off mm-hmm. in terms of blunting your gains and um, from training
2: hmm.
1: so maybe it makes it such that nine sets is better is, is optimal for you as opposed to six sets okay. so you got to train more oh boohoo that's not a bad thing but for you, who's got a family history of cardiovascular disease, you see an impact on your blood lipids. Uh-huh. You see an impact on your infl- inflammation factors when you're looking in your in your blood work. It may be very well worth the health benefits that you get, even though there's some trade-off in terms of muscle gain that what you have to do to optimize your gains. So that's where sort of the magic of blood work. And auto regulation and paying attention to your progress and your training, et cetera, et cetera, comes into play. Um, that's one of the beautiful things about bodybuilding. Is it's got you all these little dials that you can turn with your training and everything else, and also paying attention to your health, of course. Yeah. So yeah.
0: that's a good point. And I do feel like, man, yeah. just listening to this, you know, cause we, we always, in this conversation, we start thinking like, oh man, we don't want to take these things that could potentially limit our gains. But in reality, I feel like Mm -hmm. there are so many conversations we have on these podcasts about how many people are overtraining that, you know, maybe it would be to everybody's benefit to throw in a little bit of, you know, NAC or whatever else, you know, omegas or curcumin. Maybe it'd be to our benefit to have more of that because, you know, just to kind of offset all the overtraining that's already happening.
1: And here's the thing on overtraining too. Before someone jumps on this, is like when you define overtraining, basically, it's training that actually leads leads to a regression in performance. Is sort of the, the basic way that it's m- most of the time defined.
0: That's fair enough. I so like that's that. like
1: you follow that curve all the way out to where you get net zero progress, and then go beyond that. It's like the far right on the underside of the of the zero line of progress. Yeah. So that's when you know. Okay, I'm doing way, I'm doing way too much. Right. Yeah. But here's the issue for people, I think, is that you could be doing way more than would be optimal if you have a really long curve. So you're doing 18 sets, mm-hmm. and you're still recovering, you're still inching forward progress-wise, and you're sore every workout, <laughs> and you just buck, it, buck up, et cetera, et cetera, where you could be doing much less and making much more progress. So at that point, like kind of from a road term, it's like, yeah, you're overtraining, that you're doing too much training. Yeah. But you're not over-training from the, from the technical perspective, and that you're training such that you're regressing. And that in-between zone can be gigantic.
2: Hmm. Okay,
1: And to test out, like, what happens if I cut my training in half? This is what um, I think, for instance, like Mike Menser um, probably experienced, and I've heard people say just multiple times over the years, I, I wasn't directly, um, couldn't make a direct testimony to this effect, but he would take on bodybuilders that had been training like with a high volume approach and probably doing way too much and then pull them into his training regime and drop mm-hmm. their volume down. And they were probably overreaching, um, maybe non-functionally or at least functionally in this case. And he, he just brought them back closer to an optimal zone and that recovery and that stint, They basically started recovering from those inroads they created with all the volume and their progress just launched forward. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that that was for them, like training one set a week was going to be what's going to continue to give them progress. Is they were so far off to the, in the wrong direction. They were simply reaping the recovery from the stimulus they'd set in place previously.
0: Yeah. And when yeah. you
1: go from 20 sets to two, um, <laughs> now you, and the, if your diet stays the same, now that energy expenditure is no longer, is, is no longer there. So you automatically have a caloric excess that you might have not had before by at least 500 calories let's say per workout if not more so now someone's caloric balance is totally different so all these things play a role um you can imagine someone just like teasing out these factors someone's like well i'm making progress maybe their progress is half as good it could be so they're way at the far right of the hormesis curve and they're taking anti-inflammatories for whatever reason headaches or what have you or just joint pain um and uh and they're, sort, they're doing a lot of training now, um, more training than they would need to because they got the inflammatory, anti-inflammatories and they're sort of blunting things. But they're mm-hmm. still too far out. And because of that extra training they're doing, in order to have a caloric excess and keep making gains, they have to eat more calories.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: their gastrointestinal system is stressed. And NSAIDs, for instance, aren't particularly good for your gastrointestinal system. So they've got the fact that they have to train more, which means they need to eat more. And they're taking NSAIDs, which screws up their GI <laughs> Um, handle these pains, but they wouldn't be having if they didn't train so much. So, you got sort of this vicious cycle of too much training, NSAIDs off that, extra food. And if they just took the NSAIDs out and trained less, they'd solve the GI problems, they'd create the caloric excess they're having trouble getting in the first place, and yeah. they move themselves closer to an optimal volume of training for making optimal gains. And boom, everything takes off just because they take the NSAIDs out, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Theoretically, hypothetically. So, Something to consider for someone who's been chronic and still making progress right but that would be the ideal shot.
0: you know that would be yeah. that would be an ideal situation. do you know much about bPC one fifty seven Scott because that was one thing I forgot to mention and and Brent just brought it up he said hmm. uh may not have time thoughts on bPC in and, and I assume he means in this conversation
1: that would be something yeah.
0: worth tapping into in the future if you didn't.
1: No, I've I've been asked this question a lot. It's a lot of people come to that one, like in consultations and the like. Okay. So it's a it's a gastric drive peptide. I've looked and looked for some someone who's dug into the mechanisms um, that whereby it seems to work so well for recovery from connective tissue injuries, um, like the, the 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 study that kind of brought it into the bodybuilding. I seen was it's on subversity. I think he. He put that out there was they they incurred a uh, rotator cuff injury okay. in I think a rat model rat or a rodent model of some sort and then they injected the BPC directly there and the rotator cuff repaired itself. Wow! Yeah, right. Which is really cool, right? So oh, yeah, and rodents rodents are super hardy too. Like you, I wouldn't like would I wouldn't expect that effect in a human just because rodents can just handle so much more than we can. Okay. I just know this from the little animal work I did comparing rodents along the, along the line. So. The interesting thing about the BPC is it's a gastric dried peptide, so it's gastrically available. You could orally available. Um, and my suspicion is that part of its function, why it's so powerful, is that it's acting on connective tissue and protein production in the gut, where we have, especially in the stomach, where we have a highly acidic environment. pHs get down to like two, three. They're really it's really really acidic in there. You wouldn't want to put, you know, sulfuric acid or hydrochloric acid on your skin and burn a hole in your in your, mm. in your arm. But your stomach is creating that as part of our digestive process. Yeah. So you've got a mucus in there. there; is various protective mechanisms. But there's my guess is that BPC, for instance, is one protein that's produced there to stimulate those cells to have a rapid rate of turnover, so that your own stomach acid, the parietal cells produce your hydrochloric acid, that you're not basically eating your own stomach away. Hmm. So. It's a very specific peptide that's normally produced there in that very, very caustic environment. So, the, the, so that's sort of like some idea of, that's my guess as to why it's, why it's, a, what its function is endogenously. When you inject it exogenously, it seems like it really stimulates rapid protein synthesis when you're recovering from an injury. People find this, it's just, it has an anti-inflammatory effect as, as well. I've looked for these mechanisms and I look, about every six months I dig in and see if I can find something I didn't find before. So my concern and I had a couple, um, guys that I worked with friends, one was a client for a while who have torn muscles and used BPC. Um, uh, and then tore again. And, and I, and I talked. I'm not going to name any names, but I talked with someone else who had a, um, pretty, I'm not going to say what I said what the injury was, uh, actually, people would know people who it would, is. There's people would put it two- together. Yeah, people would put it together, but um, and so the, the concern that I have is that if BPC is going in and it's activating some genes involved with collagen synthesis or elastin synthesis or connective tissue protein strand synthesis, and it's turning on in a really rapid fashion, it's tapping into a genetic program that turns on. Various genes that are involved with this recovery pro- and remodeling process. How different is that perhaps compared to the remodeling process that would normally be available if you weren't using BPC? What's, what's in, what would be happening with just the endogenous molecular singling molecules that would be involved with that process? So let's say, let's just think about collagen and elastin in a tendon. So elastin is really elastic, collagen not so much. And like an issue with some steroids, wind I think, is one that's been been uh, investigated in this, in this regard in terms of tendon mechanical um, properties. It, it tends to make tendons perhaps a little more brittle, so they're not as elastic. That's why some guys, they suspect, aside from the muscle getting so strong, relative rates of, of connective tissues, is that steroids might predispose you to tendon tears. If it's changing the composition of, like, your tendons, or your connective tissue is holding things together because there's a mix there. Your, your body is, you know, has a certain amount of elasticity in connective tissues like tendons and ligaments, capsules, the connective tissue and skeletal muscle, there's connective tissue layers, endopary and epimecia, and the ball blah. So that's there for a reason. Like, that's kind of like we've got the structural components of your truck and you've got your, your shocks and your leaf springs and everything else. So, BPC comes in and all of a sudden now we're, let's say we're tripling our production of these proteins that are being laid down in the connective tissue that's formed as you're recovering from a muscle tear or what have you, could be in cartilage too. What is the relative composition? I don't know. What's the relative composition of those elastin, collagen, other connective tissue fibers when you have BPC in the mix versus what you do otherwise? Hmm. Is the devil going to want his do so to speak, speak, because you've just tripled – you've just cut your recovery time in one-third in terms of now you've got connective tissue that maybe not is not as elastic. That happens with scar tissue in general. You, you don't have as much elasticity. Maybe that's even worse. Hmm. Maybe it's too elastic hmm. so that you've got a difference in the mechanical properties in the skeletal muscles versus the tendon that you wouldn't otherwise have. So that's an issue. I don't know. I yeah. kind of wonder. Like is it the chances that BPC is turning, just fine tuning everything and doing exactly right. Yeah. It's like, ah, I kind of wonder. And then the other issue, um, and this is what something came up with the one person I was talking with, and he, he checked with his, his physical therapist. And I totally agree with this is if someone's been had an injury, let's say they've got a leg or an arm that's been immobilized. Um, and now, uh, they're going to have to regain range of motion. Let's say they had a knee repair or whatever it is shoulder repair elbow repair um and you need to gain regain range of motion right and that can take weeks and weeks sometimes depending on how long you've been casted yeah if you if you if let's say you add bpc and right when you come out of the cast right and you're laying down your connective tissue three times as fast while you're trying to get your range of motion you may end up basically because you don't have full range of motion the connected tissue fibers are going to be set up based on the range of motion that they're that they're exposed to. So if you're if you're only able in those first three weeks, which is equivalent, let's say nine weeks, just using that three to one factor, which I just pulled out of my butt, and you're only able to bend your elbow like 20, 30 degrees, as opposed to you know 120, 150 degrees. Yeah. Now you've basically reformed the connected tissue with a limited range of motion. Yeah. You got yeah. it all. It's all set up to 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 regulate around that length. Yeah. So in terms of like you think about shocks or leaf springs, like the, the, the extent to which you can go up and down is now much shorter because you rebuilt that connective tissue to operate about around a very, very short range of motion.
0: Yeah, and some of those so injuries, go, some of those injuries are already yeah. difficult to rehab. Like, like I'm thinking of like the patellar attendant. I know a guy who tore his part the tendon recently, basketball player, mm-hmm. and looking into yeah. the rehab of that, it's a lot of work trying to get that full range, getting the foot to go all the way when it's been like immobilized for even two weeks.
1: Yeah, and repairing. So, so well, that makes sense. So let's say it takes six weeks, and like now you're you're trying to get that range of motion, and you've just you have just bombarded it with BPC one fifty seven, and now you've got this really secure tendon, the patellar tendon, and you don't have full range of motion your back. Your
0: foot goes like this. What? That's it. <laughs> you know. That's yeah, it.
1: right. And it's it's super solid. So what? Yeah. So let's say you're you're weight training, and now you go to do a full range of motion lift, ah. and now you're way past the normal range the range of motion that you've set your set, set the tendon up yeah. for, because you accelerated the repair. Much faster than it would have been, huh. so you can basically get out of pace. Yeah, with with range of motion recovery. Yeah, because you've because you're because you're you know you're you're supersizing or super speeding your um your recovery. Yeah, so that's a concern, um, and that's I mean it's definitely got a use. I mean, I really, I really think that I mean, compared to NSAIDs and some of the things that the doctors give. I think that the pharmaceutical industry probably don't want BPC one hundred and fifty seven to come out because it works so well. Yeah, it has it so does. many cool actions, and it's endogenously produced. So there is these issues that you know that I've kind of thought through that are my my considerations. But I mean, there's got to be a way to apply it in a smart way that that works in unison with the normal recovery processes, so you can strengthen. Let's say you get to a place where you've got a recovered tendon, recovered um, muscle, what have you. You got your full range of motion back. And now you want to make sure that you've got a full, as full recovery as possible. Then you might put that in there at that point hmm. or add it in the second half. You get your range of motion back, but you still don't have your strength. And like the half-life of collagen is something like 90 days, I think, last time. I really looked it up. Okay. So it takes a while for that collagen to turn over. So you might get range of motion back in the first 40, 45 days, and then you add – not that someone should do this necessarily, but this might be something that a research study might – something like this might substantiate because now you can add the BPC in there yeah. and jack up um, and accelerate your recovery. So you get strength back and, and you don't train too heavy relative to the state of the connective tissue recovery in there in the muscle that you've just – or the, the the structure that you've just injured. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, food for thought for sure.
1: Yeah, a cool it's a cool substance man i wish there's there's it's been around for like 20 years has it really you can go into the it's yeah it's so it's so crazy that's why i'm wondering like why hasn't someone jumped on this you know like what's going on and i think the farm i'm guessing the pharmaceutical industries think okay if we take this and we introduce this then it's going to kind of compete with we have 10 other drugs that we're we're selling that this one would would replace yeah well we don't want to do that because we want more money so we could make 10 million off this one. We'll make 100 million or 10 billion off this one. 100 billion off it. Off these. Let's not bring that one in there because it will it will supplant all the other money makers we have. We don't want yeah. to do that.
0: Yeah, that's possible, man. It. I. I hope that it does continue to to come out. And I mean, I feel like it's at a tipping point now. Like so many people know about it. So many people are using it. Yeah. We're at the point now where WADA identifies it as a banned substance. So it's like, mm-hmm. we're getting there. You know what I mean? I think we're getting there. But if not, hey, guys, yeah. go to Amino Asylum. Use our code THINK. Um, I've had yeah. a lot of people that have benefited from it for a lot of things, like people who have gut issues. It's really good for that, too. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot
1: of things. Yeah. I mentioned before we talked about it, I'm 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 waiting for someone to run a, not that I'm suggesting someone do this, but it has these recovery properties, right? And it seems to be anabolic too, but it's anti-inflammatory. So it'd be an interesting thing to see what happens if you if you add that in on a regular basis in terms of growth. Does yeah. it does it act to you know does it act to, as an anabolic basically
0: essentially? Yeah.
1: Hm. Um, but, yeah, because it definitely stimulates protein synthesis. Um, so it's not just blunting inflammation and limiting the stimulus. Uh, one other thing worth mentioning was one of the other questions that was in that list of questions is timing of these things. Um, this person, mm-hmm. I had this in my beyond bodybuilding coach book, like the half life of vitamin orally oral vitamin C is like 10 to 12 hours. So N-acetylcysteine and, and has a really long half life too. So one of the problems with taking those, if you want to take them for health reasons is that it could be that you're blunting your, your training stimulus. So the idea would be take them on, as far away from your training stimulus as possible yeah. the training stimulus I think we mentioned this last time train set those things in motion and then if you want to add something for a health reason do it that do it afterwards as to how long would be optimal you can look at half lives that might play a role um, it's hard to say for sure but yeah. you know and that's so that's another another factor to consider but uh, when in doubt, if you think you got a good health health benefit from, from one of these one of these compounds, and you can still make gains, I say go for it. Yeah, um, yeah. I think so. that's probably good advice. Hey,
0: I got yeah. it. got. I got and, a question I, for you. All right. So mm-hmm. you had mentioned at the beginning of the show we were talking. Actually, even before the show, you were talking about mistakes, and and really mm-hmm. them not being mistakes, but you know opportunities to learn. Can you think of, and and of course, this is like a a big, dramatic YouTube kind of question, the biggest mistake that you learned from in your own bodybuilding? And I'm sure there's been many, 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 but I would love to hear a story of something that you, a big mistake that turned out to be a great learning thing for you.
1: I could, but I would sort of be incriminating somebody if I did, <laughs> right? Because it, it was something I, – I can just – well, it's, it's a mistake that happened in bodybuilding, but it's happened many, many other times in my life Okay, in various ways. So I can just say it in a general way. But I have the – I'm a giver, kind of one way to look at it, um, uh, and – without going into my whole family of origin story as to why I am the way I am or how my personality has developed the way it did, my family, my role in my family, is I tend to give and give and give and give. Okay. Um, and I get taken advantage of it a lot. Okay. So I've done that in terms of bodybuilding. Um, actually, you know what I think about it? I haven't really just sort of shifted the, the bodybuilding-related things off into one side, but there's been a whole series of times when – I put others' welfare, others' other needs in front of mine, um, in various ways, shapes, and form, and it didn't. It uh, didn't behoove me. Let's say, yeah. um, this isn't this doesn't mean you should be a selfish, bas- selfish bastard, um, which I don't think I, I ever could. I just I, I, I just wouldn't let my allow myself to do that. But there have been some times when I've subjugated my own own desires and not in uh, my own needs and given a given a given and. Um, and not receive the gratitude that seemed like it made sense. Um, so those are things that I'm trying not to do again. I'm not c- considering the mistakes, um, but the key, the, the key learning, the takeaway there, I think, is that you can pay closer attention, like when you when you're looking for a give and take in relationship, and in terms of bodybuilding, it could be a training partner, um, could be someone that you're just helping. Maybe you're not coaching them, they're so not paying you, but you're helping them out. Whatever it might be, um, you can see a lot of times early on there are signs to the of the extent to which they're willing to pay you back in some way, or though they're grateful. Um, and usually, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You kind of get to the end of it, it's like, holy shit, I did all this stuff. And I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just th- talking in general. This happened in my personal life and romantic relationships, etc. Um, various, various, various ways. As you look back in hindsight, it's like you know what I can I could have known then that it might end this way because this person just, there was no giving back to me yeah. in a way that made sense, that at least came close to evening out the score. Yeah. Not that it's about that. There's always periods where you're giving to the other person and they just can't give back. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing to be able to help someone who can't in that moment help themselves. But usually there's a time when they are able to, and if, they, if there's no attempt to reciprocate or at least a sense of gratitude that measures up and matches what was done for them yeah usually that's a sign it's like okay i'm going to just be careful um and at least adjust my expectations
0: yeah there you go there you go that's the big one it's the expectations thing, really you know it's like
2: and 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 if you're
0: getting into that you can even like look at i um how can i put this without like getting really specific but if you want if there's people like family members that you want to keep in your life but you know you you you've feel like you've been let down by them the only thing you can do to keep them in your life is to be able to eventually accept them for who they are and what they're capable of right and that's truly Mm -hmm. what what loving somebody is then you know is being able to meet them on their own terms like oh well this is all this person's capable of and but yeah having that Mm -hmm. understanding going into it I was going completely different. Like when I, I was thinking oh. like the time that I ate 650 grams of protein a day oh. or, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's yeah. where I was going with <laughs> Like, you I, know, the, the time where I stopped drinking water two weeks out from a show or, you know, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I, I, there,
1: there was, I mean, I, 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 I wrote kind of an article about this for Elite FDS. There was, I, I recognize I need to do somewhat of an off season um, mm. if I want to come in better. Hmm. So there was, I don't remember exactly, the it may have been this Mirage or Parasthetica thing, because I've been battling that for years now, on and off, I fixed it. But I dieted down and came back to the Master Nationals one year, and I was the lightest I'd ever been at that time. Okay. I mean, I climbed my weight, went up over the years, but it had been like 15 years since I'd been that light. Okay. And it's because I didn't have a a good off-season. I didn't, I mean, you hear the old-school notion, I think there's something to this. Um, A lot of guys see this, is you kind of got to get fat. To look good and get lean. Yeah. Um, not that you want to intentionally just add body fat, but you need to get out of shape to get in shape. I think it's the way some people say it. Yeah. And I didn't have an off-season where I, I attempted to push my weight up. Um, I just I had to sort of maintain things because I was battling this injury. So I didn't push and have a true off-season because I'm like, I really couldn't train legs the way I wanted to. So like, why am I going to go up in my weight? I'm just going to probably just get unnecessarily fat. And then I kind of took care of that. I'm like, oh, I can diet down now and do the show. But without that off-season, and I've kind of noticed that since, um, I didn't come in any better. And, and coming full circle, we started talking about Austin. Yeah. You know, he pushed everything really hard. He documented all. He pushed his food, pushed his body weight. I don't know how high he got. Maybe, maybe he's still watching he let us know. but. He had a really good and productive off season. I think. Yeah, he and did. He came in and he fucking crushed it this weekend. Yeah,
2: yeah he looked so, great.
1: Yeah, that's something that I've that I've done or that I have recognized is that if I want to, it's not like you know everything's looking pretty good. Like, and I, I I'll just die down for a show. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, I need to push up at some point in time and then come back down hmm. if I want to come in looking the way I hope I would. I just yeah. don't hold on a muscle all that well. Okay, so
0: it's good yeah, lesson. That's, that's a, a good lesson one. to learn.
1: Yeah. Alright. Yeah. It kinda of sucks when you get down to like like oh shit. Like eight weeks out, I was like, Do I gonna still gonna do this? Like, yeah, I'll learn something I always do.
0: Yeah, yeah. But and you can still have you? a blast.
1: Well, yeah, oh yeah.
0: You know what? Um I, I the job I did for seven up um oh. required me to burn so many calories that it definitely blunted my ability to gain muscle. You know, when I was up at my highest in calories, I was eating so much and it wasn't all good quality either. I ended up being, I ended up messing up my digestion with that. Like I overtaxed my digestion to try to keep up because I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I know I have to eat more. Like I couldn't get rid of my abs no matter what I did. It was like, I, Mm. I know I'm not like adding enough because no matter what, even when I'm feel like i'm pushing food in the off season i'm still lean so i know that i'm capable of handling more i haven't reached that point where it was ever too much so finally i said screw it and i pushed it um but you know and i and i did i did move up that year um and i did you know suffer gut issues as a result but looking back at all of that i would say that you know what that wasn't an important job And if I really loved bodybuilding, and like I said, that job was not important. I really needed to focus more on getting a better job to be my best at bodybuilding. That's really what it came down to. You know, sometimes we're in a good career where, where, you know, like I, I work with a younger guy who is Constantly climbing telephone poles, that's his job it It is a yeah. physical job, and we're up to like a few cheap meals per week and you know drink this uh-huh. drink these this gatorade through the day you know all of this all of this stuff right you know and it's like but in his case it's it's a legit career that he's doing. he's getting good benefits yeah. and and it works for him, but you know what if if you were in my position where I could have gone somewhere else and gotten another job that paid just as much. Um, it, it would have benefited my bodybuilding to have just bucked up, gotten a new job, gone mm. through all of the BS that you have to go through with like relearning and, you know, like learning a new job, learning how to do things and the, the discomfort and the uncertainty that goes along with that. Had I had yeah. the courage to do that sooner, I would have been able to have been a better bodybuilder full stop. You know, that's really what yeah. it comes down to.
1: Interesting. You know, I have one of my best friends, I, I don't like to mention him you know, I don't I don't want to sure. mention what they do, but who wouldn't care? But he the way he sets and he's been training a long time, and he he does his training. He basically does like a three way split, and he trains Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, because he's so busy during the week. Yeah, and that works for him. Yeah. It actually it actually works for him. He does he pretty rest.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: yeah, and his recovery is on point. So you know he just kind of bucks up on Friday you know, after the long week, but, but he's got four days. He did his job and it's not like he's just totally dragging from his job, Yeah. but to go and train after he's done his job,
0: it's a lot, not optimal, yeah.
1: but he, but after but after, you know, he's straight, last time he trained a Sunday and now it's already Friday. Yeah. He's recovered from the training and he's ready to train too, you know? And so he kills them and then he just eats and he, he literally, mm. so he can eat and rest and recover and it works for him. Hmm. Works for him really well because he's training like, you know, once a week and that that is a good recovery time for him. That's, that works for lots and lots of people. Yeah. So just toss that as an option. Like most people wouldn't want to do that, you know, necessarily. But
0: yeah, I find, you know, where oh, one we- of my hold, hold backs is or hold ups is of training like that. And I think other people have. I've seen this with other people, too, is the longer you're out of the gym, the harder it is to stay Plugged in with what you're doing. Like if I'm going to the gym regularly, then I know it's like, you got to eat yeah. this food and, you know, be ready to go for that next workout. But if I had like four days off and I, I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. I feel like that, that yeah. would become a challenge in itself is like, Hey, stay plugged in. These days are important too. You know?
1: Yeah. I, he's been training, you know, longer than most of the listeners have been alive. <laughs> so that's not an issue. And he, and he's a personal trainer. Yeah, Um, and he's going to a good gym to train. So it's kind of like if Gold's Venice, like, and I get to go to Gold's Venice, you know, or or Bev's or whatever. It's a really awesome gym. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, the pattern for some people is really important. They fall out of that groove, and that's that's it. Yeah. Um, So, but it is that is. I mean, it's not ideal, but people can make that happen because I think he just. I don't. I don't know. I haven't been around him long enough recently to know like he probably is just like eating and napping and eating and napping like the whole it's like a giant like skip load for an entire weekend right (laughs) that's literally what he does he just chows down but it works Okay, it's very much it's like he's skip loading with both his diet and his training yeah and he's been he's done it that way for years and years and years does he have a pretty good physique
0: too like he's gotten some development out of this
1: yeah, I'll just, it's, its my buddy Mike Gustafson. He may be listening. Yeah, master of okay. the Universe. Well, I guess I guess he's done back. okay for himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's won won a few of the Arizona shows. Oh, yeah, he's—he's he's he's not the biggest right. dude, but he, he knows. Yeah, he's done all right. And, and the thing that's interesting, like, because Mike and I talk, Mike has just got—it's s- so much fun to talk to him because he got so many fucking crazy stories. Oh yeah, because um, he grew up in Sweden, but he lived oh. all over Europe. Yeah. He's been involved with all sorts of stuff okay um and like the skip loading like strategy like that's something they've been doing in sweden for for decades and decades <laughs> and he's talked to ken ken knows him because they they every once in a while like, if he watches um like he watched ken's interview at elite fts and he loved it i think he messaged him after that so that's cool he stays in you know in contact with people's ken knows who he is <coughs> but yeah he's uh he's he's got he's been doing that for a long time He. He, I have mentioned him before he's the, he's the guy uh, when he does a, like a shitload before a, um, in the morning of, of a show he gets a um, Pizza Hut pizza and he doesn't eat Pizza Hut pizza during his diet yeah but, so it's totally off diet but he's that like that one exception he'll order it so he has it and he'll like I think he starts eating at like 4 o'clock 5 o'clock in the morning Damn. and he puts down a Pizza Hut pizza the morning of the show Damn,
0: and, I could totally see yeah. that working though for carving up. If it if you knew it was going to digest well for you, you're you've done you know you're comfortable with it. I can see that, man. Yeah. I eat a few slices, wait an hour, see how I look. I think I could go for another yeah. slice right now. You know, <laughs> I
1: think he usually eats the whole thing. Yeah, I think he eats the whole thing typically. Yeah, damn. Um, yeah, Mike's Mike's done so much, man. He's got so much experience. I I wish I. Um, he's just such a really modest guy. So. That's what you I, could, I keep on trying to get him to write a book. Maybe well, this is, I didn't intend to do this. I'm called. I said, I said, Mike, if you like, if you like scratch down your ideas, I'll edit the book for you and we'll put this shit out there. Dude. You know? you like the um, pizza
0: loading story like that in itself, man, you're going to sell a million copies. Like the new thing is yeah. pizza loading into a show. Everybody wants to yeah. eat pizza. They're totally going to buy that. I buy that. Yeah. Hashtag pizza um, load.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, um, just said like Kelly, but one of my clients from Hawaii. He was he was a coach in Hawaii for the longest time. Yeah. Kelly's now moved to. Um, he may be listening to this, but he moved to San Diego now. But he was doing um, peak week. I showed him out of the way. I kind of did peak week and had his clients do peak week, and he would do skip lows a lot of times with his clients. Okay. And he had guys who were, like winning the state show or winning the big shows in Hawaii. Yeah. And this was like you know fifteen years ago, and he would like intentionally they would they would order the pizza that morning and have it delivered backstage
0: so like his guys like
1: wearing like, little sweats you know and like no one like they know who he is because it's you know small community like so what the hell is he doing He did he just give up like he's just eating pizza now he's even gotten on stage but it's part of his regimen because pizza would work and so literally guys walking around and they would intentionally open the box up you know so that so, the, the aroma could waft throughout the backstage. Yeah. Everyone's like fucking salivating. You know, people were going to go like, yeah. they're going to have a cephalic insulin release and go hypo. Right. Of <laughs> you pizza. screwed everybody else <laughs> up. He's, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> everyone's like sweating, you know, and
0: They're all going in hypo. An insulin
1: shot. Yeah, yeah. Right? And he's he was eating just, pizza. Eat, his, eat this pizza, right?
0: That's crazy, yeah. man.
1: Uh, uh, like, yeah. So, that was like, it reminds me, like Lyle McDonald told this story. There's a guy, a physical therapist who was his training partner for years. And this was like this was over 20 years ago, but this is when people really didn't know about ketogenic diets. Yeah. Um, and uh, he this guy didn't do much cardio. He was he was a physical therapist. He was pretty active in the day. And he just hardly did any cardio. So what? Instead of doing cardio, he was at a gym where there are lots of other bodybuilders, and they'd be dieting for the same show he is. He would finish his training, and then he'd, he'd stay like in his tank top so he could see his physique. And then his his post workout was pork rinds. No
0: kidding, pork rinds, huh?
1: So, so yeah. Yeah, like barbecue pork rinds, you know, you know pork yeah. rinds. It's just it's just pig skin, like yeah. deep-fried pig skin. And probably a lot of pork salt, cracklings, too. Pork cracklins, I
0: think. Yeah. A lot of
1: salt, right, which which you need. You tend to like, get low in body water, so you need sodium and yep. plenty of electrolytes. So he would he would just go. Everyone else is doing their cardio like they're doing you know, an hour of cardio. He would just go get a bag of pork cracklins and just start eating those. Dang. In front of everyone. They're like, what? <laughs> totally mind warfare.
0: That's funny, and he man. did that,
1: you know and then he'd come in just absolutely shredded you know because he yeah. knew what he was doing he yeah, had really fine-tuned the ketogenic diet back then that's cool so yeah there's so many stories Mike always every time I talk to him he's like tells me another story yeah you know that I hadn't heard before it's like oh my god dude, there's so many <laughs> that's so, awesome well, I got anyway, to go to Elite
0: FTS by the way you mentioned Elite I, I got to check it oh, out did, I, I'd never been there before did you go to the compound yep, yep. Yeah, did you get the train no I well I could have but I had literally okay. been up since like I you know I normally go to bed at 9 pm and we mm-hmm. had we had driven to uh, Columbus starting at like nine at night so we got there at like you know midnight. And then, the we and then the next day we were up till two and then the next day we're up till two. And then, and then I went to elite after that. So I was not in the mood to uh-huh. train. I didn't feel good. You know what I mean? But it was cool yeah. to, to see the place and to meet Dave and to, to see, just, just to see the, you know, just to check it out, man. I would have loved to have trained, yeah. but I wasn't mentally or physically prepared for that, that particular day. Right. It was cool. Yeah. Though. yeah. I know.
1: I know I've, I've traveled before. That's a, kind of another a second answer to your, your question about mistakes is I've traveled once once when I was in the UK this happened and once when I traveled to California and my recovery wasn't on point and I had a chance to train and I'm like this is like I'm in this atmosphere with other other bodybuilders and I want to train. I train really hard and I suffered little small muscle tears.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, not that I felt like, but it's just because I wasn't properly hydrated or I train too much or whatever it wasn't everything wasn't up on point and so that's something I learned is like when you made a smart choice I think because I I've would done have been it very tempted train yeah yeah but it's right. not always the right thing to do it's funny because um, when you I probably got there, lost weight
0: yeah oh yeah yeah and then the food was off too because I didn't have meals prepped and there was nowhere to really eat so it was like you know right. eat a big meal here and then have a couple shakes and then eat another big meal here it was funny because I got right. there like I said it late and I took our luggage up to the room and there was no like bellhop or anything. So I had the cart and I had the cart and I'm going to push it back in the elevator. I'm on the third floor and both elevators open at the same time. And I started going to the other elevator and then this one opened, so I started going here. This guy's getting off the the other elevator and he goes, oh, oh, excuse me. And I look right at him and then he starts walking by me. He didn't even recognize me. And I was like, skip. Skip, oh shit it's me. <laughs> it was Skip Phil at like midnight, right. one a.m., and we both like it. Both we both almost didn't recognize each other. And I was like, "No, that's Skip." So we yeah we we wow. yeah we met on basically on the elevator and didn't even recognize each other.
1: Oh shit, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean I've seen it, him before, it, it, you know. Yeah, well, at the Arnold, right? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. You guys did, you and DJ did. At Arnold, yeah. So yeah. it's so contextual, you know. Yeah, and it really is. Made, like he did, he just get in too. So he had just arrived. Or, he had
0: just he had been there. He had gotten there in the afternoon. He had got. He was coming okay. back from going out to dinner. One of his clients was there. So they, one of his clients, had gone out to dinner with him, and he was just coming back to his room. But yeah, totally contextual. Okay. He didn't expect to run into me on the elevator. He yeah. knew I was going to be there, but you know, yeah, right. We had a great time. Yeah. Was, I'm so glad he went because you know uh-huh. what's so cool to me is that. Skip is such a smart guy, you know, he, he's, he's been doing this for so long, yet I got to see him learning, to see him open-minded and to see him excited. We did a podcast afterward in the lot. So, you know how, like, everybody hangs out in the bar and drinks right. after it's over? Skip and I did a podcast just outside of that. And then, like, people would walk by and we'd, we'd pull them in. We had Mario Novo came to talk for a minute you know we got oh cool it was it was cool man we got people to stop by um ed cohen was walking by we pulled him in for a second but uh, next year or next time um i'm gonna do an official uh, swiss after hours podcast uh it's gonna be official uh but yeah Yeah. it it was fun and and i got to listen to him talk on that podcast though about like how much he had learned and it was it was cool man it was exciting to see somebody who's been at it for so long and has so he's forgotten more than he knows and he's still learning more, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. I, I heard, I don't, these guys may listen, I don't know, but I heard, I'll just, once again, I won't name any names in this, but I heard, um, this is a German podcast. So that's one of the things that I, I'm doing everything except for what I, like this podcast and things, you know, the, the clients and what have you, it's in English, but otherwise my world is German. Yeah. I'm bringing my German language. I've heard up. you I even to,
0: talking to your dogs in German. I this talk is to the, my dogs in German. They're learning German too. Oh, oh.
1: <laughs> I, I forgot, um. Die Lusa Aniki, Dr. his T-shirt. Oh, that's her T-shirt here, the thick, thick modus T-shirt. Um, so anyway, I'm listening to these two guys, and these guys have been around for a while. They're really well known. They probably have the most to the best known podcast in Germany. Oh yeah, and they say, and they say, um, and I know one of the one of the guys. And I just mentioned like, you know, back when we were doing this in 2017, you know, we were the OGs, you know, we started out and I'm like, I'm like 2017, like how fucking old am I? I was at it 20 years before that, right? Yeah. Um, but they are, were, they're talking about how things have changed and the, the yeah. faces has changed and social media has kind of changed the game. And they're totally right. Yeah. What they had a really good point is that just in these last five years, things have changed, but they were considering that like, that's when things, that was like the start.
0: Yeah, okay. and you've
1: been around a while. You weren't just born yesterday either, Scott. I, mean, I'm not, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but you've been at this for a little while, and of course, Ken has. Yeah, you know, Ken. Ken's an OG, um, basically. Uh, Dante, you know, some of us have been at this for a long while, and it's. Um, yeah, you guys have been at it longer
0: than I have. You've been plugged into yeah. it longer than me. So, I I, right. I still consider you guys to be like you're you're up here still to me. I'm still
1: like constantly learning from you guys all the time. Yeah. As I, the thing that I I always say is like it's not that I'm like I know a whole bunch more than anyone else. I'm just super curious and I've been asked the same questions and seen the same questions come around <laughs> and around and around and around. Yeah. Like like you said like Ken's probably forgotten more than most people know, but but like once you heard the same question like, yeah. does cardio interfere with your games, Or, like, just all these questions that are just, they keep on, they're they're on replay. You know, yeah. it's like a broken record. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. But you the, just get to know, know things after
0: you, a while. You know, though, the, the more times you answer those questions, though, your answers change, too. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Like, over yeah. time,
0: it evolves.
1: Yeah. yeah that's uh, very, very true. Very, very true. I've always, like, in my, my talks, some of these, some of these... um Images, the figures came from my talks. I always go back and like, okay, what can I add to this? I always try to keep those up to date. Yeah. Because I've seen many people in academia and otherwise, and they give the same talk and the same notions likely still apply. Yeah. But they become stagnant and stale, and you can tell in the presentation. So I'm always trying to I'm always trying to figure out a way to contradict myself. You know, (laughs) am I right? Am I wrong here? You know, be the play the devil's advocate to my own ideas. Yeah. So some of the ideas about the change in that hormesis curve and the things we talked about regard to eights, et cetera. Those were ideas that I don't think I've ever expressed before hmm. in a, in a talk because I didn't have necessarily time to get to the other points I wanted to cover, ah. but I didn't have the, have the opportunity which you had here. So those were, that, those were things that I haven't really talked about before. I don't, I don't know that any, I've never heard anyone mention, you know, changes in shape of the hormesis curve relative to training. Hmm. Um, in this way but it's it's a i think it's a perfectly until until i get some good evidence that it is a conceptual model that doesn't function yeah. um or there's i'm sure there's exceptions you know i'm not sure what they are exactly but um there's got to be some you know things there's there's some kinks in the armor but for now i think it's a functioning theory and it's always that's always like a good scientist you're always looking to to put yourself in check you yeah. know as opposed to like bolster your ideas and like stick in your rut let's like nope i want to call myself on my, my own shit and see where i'm wrong so that i can come up with a new paradigm if that one fits fits the data and better. always
0: be learning you know always be evolving
1: absolutely beginner's mind what they they call it in the zen idea like hmm. i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about really you know the more <laughs> you learn the more I, I, I mean to some degree like there's there's like We'll name any names, but there's there's some people, like someone I just interacted with the other day, and the guy is just off the chart. He works in the fitness industry, in the supplement industry. Off the chart, intelligent. He's got yeah. so much knowledge in his head at such yeah. deep levels. And he just sort of stays behind the scenes. He's just, he's hmm. a, probably a genius, Yeah, I would say. I would imagine if I were to have a conversation with him on any top, one of those people who could just go into crazy depth on pretty much anything you bring up. Those people are out there. It's like okay you know I gotta keep myself in check here like I really don't <laughs> know anything because people really know about some of these ideas so um, yeah all right. it makes it very interesting you know there's always something new to learn
0: well guys if you uh, if you want to learn more from Scott there is so much to learn in his book so I highly implore you if you've been watching this long and you don't have his book you totally need to get his book go to BYOB wait wait yeah that's right BYOB. Why can't I say it? B Y O B B Coach.com. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, I got my baby back, baby, back, baby, <laughs> back.
1: I'm sorry, that's something else. Or <laughs> check out
0: Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach on Amazon. You can check it out there and check out our sponsors. And that's, uh, that's about all we got for you. Sound good? Right on. Thanks for listening. Right. For another episode of Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson, I'm Scott McNally, guys. We will see you soon.